Christmas Eve, 1985, Nesbitt, Mississippi. Our family gathers in the car for the short trip to the church where my sister and I had spent the last month rehearsing our roles in the annual Christmas pageant. My dad was making a rare appearance at an essentially religious function. He was an unlikely visitor to any church in those days, especially the Catholic ones of which my mom was so fond. He had some choice words to share as we approached the parking lot. If you both do a good job, maybe you can open one of your presents tonight. And Andrew, no goofing around. I thought it strange as I wasn't the goofing type. What was the part around which I was not meant to be goofing? I was playing a shepherd with a long brown hooded robe, a fake beard, carrying a crooked staff and sporting some sort of non-sneaker type footwear. Flip-flops, most likely. I had an appropriately, if not insultingly, simple role. Guide a bunch of other kids dressed like barn animals down the center aisle, find my mark on the stage, sing along or at least pretend to with as much of the songs as I could, then shepherd the animals off stage at the end of the show. The pageant itself was typical, the story of the birth of Jesus. There were songs about the manger, the three wise men, and the guiding star over Bethlehem. A nativity scene had been constructed in the front of the altar in our small church, complete with hay and the humble furnishings of a money-grubbing hotelier with the audacity to charge a couple for a night's stay in a barn after overbooking the joint on Christmas Eve. Obviously, that wasn't exactly the story we were telling, but if you're willing to believe a, quote, virgin was about to give birth to God's very own Bronze Age baby, then how much of a stretch is it to accept the idea of an opportunistic, ancient, and characteristically misleading Airbnb host? All of that aside, I think you get the gist. Bigger kids sang the songs and played the roles of Joseph and Mary, while the ten and under crowd were dressed up like animals, shepherds, or other hard-to-fuck-up characters with zero lines and few expectations. My friend Andy was one such character, a sheep, actually. He was one of the more rambunctious kids, and a great deal more prone to overt mischief than I was. He was keen on wandering off, talking through the songs, and even taking his act too far by crawling around on all fours, behaving more like a dog than a sheep. In fact, it was Andy who I was meant to be leading down the aisle during the opening song. The other animals would follow him, then the three wise men, and so on. As I said, we'd been rehearsing these simple maneuvers for over a month. The whole cast of idiots and creatures stood in the foyer of the church, waiting for the big reveal behind the double doors which led down the aisle. Mary and Joseph were already on stage, and the singers, dressed in oversized red and green sweaters, with stiff dress clothes underneath, were staggered on a choir bench, stage left. We heard them launch into their opening number. It sounded great. Remember the heavy atmosphere around their parts of the rehearsals. A great deal more expectation had been heaped upon them by the director, showrunner, producer, and conductor. That poor, bedraggled woman had her hands full with rambunctious children, horny teens, and kids who clearly either liked performing a little too much or not at all. The songs would have to carry the show, while the rest of us stood around looking cute like moving props. For my part, I was a low-maintenance guy. I showed up on time, did my bit, kept my head down, and made little to no trouble for a woman whose whole demeanor worried me a little. I didn't really have a working definition of stress at that age, but if pressed about it, I could have pointed to her as an example of the havoc it was capable of wreaking on a person. 
She joined us in the foyer just before the opening number for a pep talk. She was heavily perfumed, doused in a potent aroma more industrial than recreational. Her dress was long, green, form-fitting, and suede with large, puffy shoulders, appropriate for Christmas time in the 80s. Her makeup hid the deep, dark circles and worry lines which normally gave her face character. Piled on top of a powdery white base, the ruby rouge of her cheeks and dark blue of her eyeshadow made me wonder if she planned on taking up a surprise role in the production. I was then, and still am, prone to thinking up improbable scenarios and alternate realities. That evening, in the foyer with the director, I had a notion. At best, Christmas is a thematically confused holiday anyway, with Jesus and Santa locked in a tug-of-war for top billing. So why not carry that confusion all the way through, I thought, like one of the soap operas my babysitters loved. Even though our pageant featured an absence of jolly old Saint Nick, it would really spice up our little show if a character showed up out of nowhere, like the crazy and tired director starring as Santa's ex-girlfriend, Rita. Anyhow, the big kids were hitting all the notes. The director joined them after our brief pep talk, which was more of a bullet point list of the extremely manageable nature of our roles and less of a rally. But it was nice all the same. She was just off stage, flapping her arms around like an aspiring but misguided symphony conductor, high on her own perfume. In all of that time, I never considered what it would mean to be the first character out of the gate. Of course, when we were rehearsing, there was no audience or any of the palpable energy such a gathering can bring to bear. Once I was faced with the dimly lit, incense-scented and cozy church, filled beyond capacity with a number of faces I recognized and many more which I did not. Something else within me, something deep, rare and hitherto unknown, took the wheel. I heard our cue, and the doors started to swing. I honestly can't tell you why, but a mighty urge overtook me the moment those doors were fully open. I froze for a beat, taking in the faces of the expectant crowd. It was like staring into a pool from a high dive. The excitement was practically overwhelming. If it was the Christmas spirit, then Christmas has some serious questions to answer. Simply walking up the aisle, like some sort of dolt, seemed like a waste and totally out of character. My artistic choice, for whatever reason, seemed much more fitting. I whispered, follow me, to Andy, my sheep buddy. I turned to face him, already violating the only direction I really needed to respect grabbed one of his hands, placed my other hand on the small of his back, drew him close to me and began to dance. We found the rhythm, hidden deep within the somewhat sorrowful Christmas tune and I herded my sheep like no shepherd before me. We twirled, dipped, stomped, and swung from the foyer all the way out to our marks on stage. The crowd of faces, at first thinking it part of the production, giggled sheepishly. But once the singing began to fall apart as the big kids saw what we were doing, and both Joseph and Mary doubled over and covered their cackling faces, the crowd caught on, and unruly laughter filled the room. The song sputtered along as kids dropped out of the chorus, unable to sing through their snickering. 
Andy and I never lost our cadence, and we took our time getting to our marks. Just shy of the stage, I saw the conductor's face. Wild with rage, her angry eyes blackened above a plastered smile that looked as if it had hardened over like wet concrete in the sun. Desperately resisting the animal urge to bare her fangs at the Cretans, currently ruining her production. Sweating through the armpits of her dark green gown and waving her arms furiously at the struggling choir, I almost felt bad. Almost. The electric surge of laughter's reward kept me afloat on a lightning-filled cloud of dreamy joy. I spun my sheep of a friend at the top of the stairs and dipped him like Fred Astaire handling Ginger Rogers. His costumed head got a lovely, upside-down view of the hysterical audience. Breathless, we took our spot and realized that none of the other animals had followed. I pitied them. How can you follow something like that? This lull in the action was the director's chance to spike the punch with Santa's ex, but I would guess it never occurred to her. She chose instead to hiss from the front of the church at the shell-shocked donkeys, horses, and remaining sheep. The poor creatures lurched into a sad walk, shambling up the aisle with blank expressions, looking utterly lost. Excellent, I thought. They had embodied their characters flawlessly, as their shepherd had just abandoned them just as he had abandoned all hopes of an early Christmas gift. A small sacrifice, well worth it, for the intoxicating and inexplicable thrill of the big laugh. Tuning in to the Raised by Whoops fake radio show. This is Glenn. Both Andrew and I are grateful for your time and attention. If you enjoyed that story, we'd appreciate if you could tell your friends, family, or even a few strangers about the show. Additionally, you can leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify. If you have a short story you'd like us to tell, or even some music you'd like to share, you can reach out via the website raisedbywhoops.com We're glad to have you with us. Till next time, thanks. Take care. Hey!